Welcome to Spiniverse. It's a mini edition today, a short one. Just Leah and I, uh, Rabbi Josh, he him pronouns, back from break. My name is Leah, she, her. I'm the former Hill president. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're last, last you left us, we were learning about the story of uh, Sarah, or Sarai, originally, and uh, all these things with Abraham passing her off as his sister, and this whole question of kind of her worth in terms of, you know, childbearing and where that kind of left us. Um, and we kind of pick up today from from that. Okay. Uh, we've got a couple different, like, pieces to read. We've got kind of the, the angels showing up to Abraham and this whole prophecy of he will have a child, so we can go at that. We could also do another sister-wife situation with a different king. Uh, I will tell you. Again? It, it, again, I know. You didn't I'll learn? You, you didn't learn. Um, and he gets more riches out of it and all of that and land. Um, so oh, good. anyway, you, that's the that's the short version of that one. <laughs> um, and then uh, we get the actual birth of Isaac and what goes on then um, and all that. So you pick, I think any one of those three. Oh, and also, um, oh, and attached to that is another Hagar story where Sarah and Hagar start to, again, Sarah's not so happy with Hagar and sends Hagar and Ishmael off. So you can pick. Um, you want to cut to that last one? Cause I feel like cool. that's kind of, yeah. All righty then. So here we are, Genesis 21. One to twenty-one. This is kind of a longish piece. How about I read like a couple verses? We stop. You read a couple verses. We stop. Okay. That kind of thing. All right. Okay. All right. So um, God took note of Sarah as promised, and God did for Sarah what had been announced. And that the piece that we skipped, which is Sarah would have a child. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken. Abraham gave his newborn son, whom Sarah had borne him, the name of Isaac Yitzchak, which we learned before means you know, laugh from laughter. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Um, and she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would suckle children? Yet I have borne a son in his old age. All right, we'll stop there. Anything that jumps out of here to you? So, all I can think of is my dad. When I was younger, my dad and I were looking through like Torah stories and he, I was really confused why everyone was like 400 years old or something. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And he said one possible thought was that they counted time differently. So you always think of people dying as younger long, long, long ago. So maybe... Abraham was really only like 30. You never know. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's some things in the Torah that I have a, you have a, it's hard to make sense of them in modern science, you know? Um, we read, I think, something in Noah a couple weeks back about God saying the, the number of man's years will be only 120. Right. But Abraham lives older than that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's one explanation I've heard. Yeah. Um, 
Not sure how exactly scientifically that would work. I guess the Earth would have to orbit the sun more quickly or something like that. You just counted it differently. Yeah, or they counted it differently. Maybe every season was a year. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, maybe everyone was only 25 years old. <laughs> Who knows? Mm-hmm. And people uh, just died a lot earlier then. It is clear. It is. It, I guess the context of the story that makes that a little hard for this is that it's it's very clear that it's old age for them. Like oh. that they're pat, that she's like supposedly kind of like post post menopausal. I believe they said something earlier about like the the time of women had stopped happening to her. Something essentially that she you know had gone through menopause. Um, it's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Um, okay, so that's the story of his birth, and then we get sort of a fast forward here between verse 7 and 8. The child grew up and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Oh, okay, well, maybe that was like a year old, you know. Um, Sarah, so, so interesting, he didn't have a circumcision feast, so no kiddish after the circumcision, but there was a big weaning feast, which is not usually like, think about that. You don't go to synagogue for like, hey, it's somebody's weaning. Um, Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham playing. Now, the Hebrew word I'm just going to point to here is metzachik, um, which comes from the same root as Isaac, but it's a PL, which means causative, like causing someone to laugh. So, a very maybe innocent version of this would be like tickling him or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but the commentators often say, no, he was doing something really bad. And it's unclear what he was doing. But, uh, so she said to Abraham, because because th- their point is to try and explain what comes next, which seems to be a, a pretty big overreaction to tickling or playing, right? She said to Abraham, cast out that slave woman and her son, for the son of that slave shall not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, for it concerned a son of his. Ooh, I'm sorry. I keep reading. It's your turn. Go ahead. Oh. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed over the boy or your slave. Whatever Sarah tells you, do as she says, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be continued for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him too, for he is your seed. Early next morning, Abraham took some bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He placed them over her shoulder together with the child and sent her away. And she wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone from the skin, she left the child under one of the bushes and went down and sat at a distance, a bow shot away, for she thought, let me not look as the child dies. And sitting thus afar, she burst into tears. God heard the cry of the boy and a messenger of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heeded the cry of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and let the boy drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He dwelt in the wilderness and became skilled with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. All right. This is the end of the story. This is actually the Torah reading for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. If you do two days of Torah reading. So interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, because some of it goes with the Torah reading for the second day, which is the binding of Isaac. Um, that connects with the shofar and God's promise. Very, yeah. Um, such, such good stories of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
kicking out your children and then almost murdering them. I know. I know. It's really a, it's a challenge. But I mean, this has more to do with the binding of Isaac, but I guess it doesn't make sense because here God is like, don't worry. Your line's going to continue down through Isaac. So then God would have been telling um, Abraham, like, get rid of I that wouldn't have made sense. No. Right. Um, and You're going back on your promises, Mr. God. Have you ever have you ever watched the show? There's a show and in it they're talking about like God and one of the people is like they're like referring to God as a man and someone goes, Can we just say that if there is a God, it's like gender neutral, not she or her? And then one goes, No, God is a man. If it was a woman, there would be less problems. <laughs> She goes, oh, God, he tries so hard. <laughs> I want to know what show that is. That's a good one. I did just hear about a, gen, uh, a Sidor that uses, because um, Hebrew is like totally gendered, right? Yeah. So like, it's difficult because, you know, you have to either use male or female language for God, particularly for, you know, folks who are gender non-binary. Like, how do you relate, you know, to that? Where's, where, where do you find yourself in the prayer book? So this is a prayer book that, that uh, creates some new neutral gender, uh, both for God and for people, which is kind of cool. Um, just a little aside. So, okay, yeah. And it seems like, is it cruel here? You know, the treatment of Hagar, like, and Ishmael? Like, how do you view this? And Well, I, even... I think... I mean, you never know. Like you were saying, it's interpreted different ways, so you don't know the full story. Hmm. Like, but either way... It just kind of like, I don't know. I feel like I don't have any wise things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I always mean to do this, but I believe the Quran, I know the Quran has a, like a parallel story, but it's about the binding of Ishmael, right? That in the Quran, the chosen son is Ishmael and not Isaac. Um, and I'm curious to hear if there's a similar story to this about like Isaac mm-hmm. being cast out. Um, well, I was curious because like at the beginning when we read this story about Lilith it's like she's kicked out and they kind of talk about how she her like lives on but it says does it ever talk about it says like they sit it says God tells Abraham he's like he'll also have like his own his like line will also go down and he'll have whatever like you will but do they ever elaborate on that or does this his story kind of end here. No, they actually do. They do a bit. Um, genealogically, I think they talk about who Ishmael's children are um, and kind of the, the nation of the Ishmaelites. Um, and they, you know, actually the Ishmaelites are the people who uh, sell Joseph down to Egypt, you know, foreshadowing later later on down in Genesis. So they Oh, play- because he marries oh. a woman. He It says he marries an Egyptian. Did it say he marries an Egyptian woman? That's right. Yeah, he marries an Egyptian woman. And it says that they live, you know, sort of in the desert. And, you know, traditional, I think, etymology connects them with, you know, um, Arab and Bedouin peoples. Um, so, I mean, genealogy, just both in terms of, like, the, the history, both that those people brought themselves back to, as well as kind of... Um, Jewish Semitic ascription of that, that lineage to them. Um, so yeah, that's there. And they're also, we know that when Abraham dies uh, later on, that both Isaac and Ishmael come to bury him. Um, so there's, even though Abraham has now kicked Ishmael out of the house twice, 
there's still some relationship between them for him to come back. Or does he uh, just feel guilty? I don't know. You know, like, you're right. We, we don't know the story of Ishmael. Maybe he just shows up. Like yeah. Action. yeah. And then there's this whole Metzahik thing too. Um, you know, the question of like, wow, Sarah overreaction here. Right? Um, the rabbis try to ascribe all kinds of awful things that Ishmael might've been doing to Isaac or just doing himself that would justify this kind of treatment. Uh, to me, I think that you're, you're trying to read in something in order to explain away something that is, you know, fairly right. cruel. Well, I think it's interesting because, well, like when you're younger, the stories you're told not only are like the more simplified ones, but they're the more significant ones, I guess, which I think are taught to you because they, they kind of show the like main characters of the Torah in the most positive light. Right. Heroes. Like yeah. you don't get told the one where they go to Egypt and Abraham's like, Oh yeah. Here random. Was it like the Pharaoh? Like here, yeah. borrow my wife. Cause she's my sister so that I get free stuff. Um, without it seeming like she had any say in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just one of the, there is a, obviously a very significant difference in the way these are portrayed in simplified versions of the stories and the stories you read versus kind of some of the other ones. Yeah. Do you think there's a, maybe just talking about that, stepping back here, like thinking about that, do you think there's a, is there a point to that? Like, is there, you know, if you're teaching, you're an educator, you know, how would you, go about teaching kids at different ages about these stories, which are very complicated. Well, I think, um, I don't know. I think I talk about this actually a lot also when I talk to people about the story of Purim, which is when I was younger, I feel at least when I was younger, it always came across to me as if one of the bad guys in the story was Vashti. Mm -hmm. Like when I was told the story when I was younger, it was made to seem as if she was bad. And that's why the king kicked her out. When in reality, when you look at that story more clearly, it's obvious that like she, she's my favorite character in the story um, now. But I think it's interesting because they kind of like want you to have this like better view of the characters in the story who have more significant things going on within it that do have good and important things happening in their lives. And also you are putting things, even if they're not okay, ever acknowledging that this was um, a very different time period. Also um, <laughs> one gazillion trillion years ago. Um, but I think, right. I think, over just making things very one-dimensional in mm -hmm. how they're presented a lot of the time and characters very one-dimensional in religion because i think especially with kids they don't want to put like god or another religious figure that's important that they're learning about in any kind of negative light which is problematic um because you're kind of being like oh everything's perfect blah 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 um, yeah, that was kind of rambly, but those are my, I, I get what thoughts. you're saying. No, it was cogent. I think it, to me, look, I work with college students, right? I know you guys can deal with some more complicated material, which is why I present it to you, you know, unfiltered because I want you to have an opportunity to be able to access it and, you know, form your own opinions about it. Um, were I an educator of younger children? I don't know. I try and maybe find a way to bring in some of that age appropriately at each, you know, stage. Like, 
Mm. Um, and talk about the fact that we're not talking about perfect people here. Um, in fact, like, you know, the stories of even like, you know, nursery rhymes and fairy tales, they all concern pretty imperfect people. Nobody's completely perfect, even in those stories, Disney movies that you watch, like, you know, people grow and learn. And if part of what we're trying to teach kids is like, you make mistakes and you grow and learn, then maybe it's helpful to be able to look at the mistakes that people can grow and learn from. I think what's challenging is that some of those mistakes or challenges are seem very brutal from a modern perspective. And in some cases, like very uh, denigrating of a particular type of people, be that a gender or a, you know, a tribe or whatever it might be. Um, so that is hard because that, then we get into like some real adult issues here. That's the Torah. I don't think the Torah is meant to be a children's book, you know, and that's what no. is so hard about it. No, right? I don't think it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for studying on this one today. I think next week, if we get everybody back, we'll go on to uh, Rebecca and her story, which is, that's a pretty interesting one too, um, in terms of how she gets married to Isaac and then her role with her children um, and a similar repetition of the whole kind of barrenness kind of thing that we get here too. I sense a theme. Yeah, there's definitely a theme um, about that. Jewish, Jewish tradition of barrenness versus fertility. Um, I guess that there's, there's a lot of different ways to read the text. Um, one way I would say that may make some of it somewhat interesting is that is the text, you know, yes, the text is about real people and their stories, but is there something metaphorically that's going on here too? Like, mm -hmm. are they talking about you know, the land, like the, often they talk about the land itself being barren or fertile and like what that means, um, God, God's like blessing and what that goes to. There's an interesting way of interplay of like fruitfulness in the land versus fruitfulness mm -hmm. in the, of, of people. Um, so it's interesting to, to pay attention to, especially because Abraham here is a nomad. He's not a planter. Uh, but later on, we end up getting people settled in the land and things change a little bit. So anyway. Cool. Thank you for uh, our mini session today. Spiniverse to be continued. Bye. Spiniverse is a production of Goucher Hillel. If you'd like to look at the text that we've been studying today, take a look at the link in our episode description. Have a wonderful week.